Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sarah Blakemore. On the podcast today. Our guest is going to tell us about how he's using his journey through transplant to inspire others. And we're going to talk about how to battle insecurity. (laughs) We better get going. Ready? (laughs) Here we go. All right, guys, here on The Gifted Life, we have a new friend. Are we excited or what? Yes, we I do. just like saying his name. Let's just say his name. Go, Joe. Trigger Bron Trigger. Oh, <laughs> Rich Trigger Bron Trigger. I like, hi, Rich. Hello there. Hey. Hey, Trigger. Which one? Show. Which one do you want me to call uh-huh. you? You know, actually, most people do call me Trigger. In fact, I have people, truly, that do not know Rich is my real first name. Wow. And I love Rich. We want to ask <laughs> you about that name, but it's just cool to say Trigger. Say it, Sarah. Trigger. Yeah. Trigger. I love it. I love it. All right. So, Trigger, you reached out to us, heard about the podcast, and said, hey, I think we can team up because our goal is to inspire folks uh, and same on your end. So, man, thanks for doing that, number one. Oh, yeah. No, sure. You guys sound like you guys are doing great stuff, and I love partnering with the uh, wonderful people. So, thank you. Yeah. So, then we started looking, you know, who, who is this Trigger guy? Like, what is it all about? And we are like, wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. He, you had to overcome so many obstacles to get where you are and to be so positive and to do what you do. We're like, we, we got to talk to him. We got to pick yes. his brain. So you're going to let us do that today? Yeah, d- dive, dive right in, but you may not get back out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. All right. So can, can we just go ahead and get the elephant out of the room? Go ahead. Yeah. Tell us about this name. Tell us about this name. <laughs> so I've been in radio broadcasting for uh, most of my adult life, 25 years broadcasting. And Rich Bontrager, when you're in a broadcast, speaking fast and fluid doesn't always come out proper <laughs> when people are listening to you at home. So people have heard Bontrager, Buttrager, Bomburger. I mean, they've heard so many variations. So I also am the guy, a little bit like Lori, I think, in the personality of the group that you have. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the one that's going to chime in, nice. uh, jump in first and say something fun. Uh-huh. So my personality is one that I'm going to be the trigger of the room, the trigger and my... Uh, broadcast partner and I uh, stumbled on that. So he was kind of the straight man and I was kind of the one that would pop off at the cannon and trigger is stuck for 25 years. Providing the color. I like it. See, my imagination took me a whole different direction. I like your story, though. <laughs> <laughs> that is good I stuff. Where, I want to know where that went. Let's talk later about that. That's <laughs> in another episode. So, uh, but, but, you know, you're on YouTube. You just, you know, you Google Trigger, uh, Bond Trigger, and you, you find these um, videos. But if you had to describe what you do daily, uh, what would you say your, your goal is, your job? My job is to equip people to defy the odds in life, leadership, and public speaking. Those have been my three arenas. That's where I've bumped into life obstacles. And so I'm passionate about helping people learn how to navigate it all and really live a great life, whether you're a leader, public speaker, or just life hits you upside, uh, you can get back right side up again. So we were reading your story yeah, and blown away. Like, how is he where he is? The resilience that you've mm-hmm. got. So, uh, so can you take can you take the listeners to the beginning of your defying the odds? What happened yeah. when you were a kid? Yeah, actually, at birth, I was born with the disease. Actually, I I, I should be dead three times now. 
Mm-hmm. So at birth, I was diagnosed with CMV. Uh, and at that time in 1965, every child born was uh, dead. Um, I was really one of the first ones in the nation that survived, even though they told my parents, he'll die within the week, he'll die within two weeks, take this child home, he'll die at home. And here I am 54 years later. Um, age 10, I was in a severe fire accident that I probably should have died or at least been blinded through. Um, I've lived with a stutter all my life. I'm deaf in my left ear, probably from the ZMV, um, CMV. Um, and, I, and I also have bad eyes. So I, I went through a lot of physical things all my life, um, including a skin graft that did not work after the fire. And probably because of the CMV affected my body. And Rich, and then, yeah. And, and then, you mentioned and, the you mentioned the CMV. So so what exactly is CMV for the audience? Yeah, it's cytomegalic inclusion disease. Don't tell me how they got the V out of it all. Okay. Uh, but, it's but it's actually a virus. It's actually uh, a virus. Okay. So uh, so and I'm the clinical guy, so that's why I wanted to talk about that for a second. So it's it's one yeah. of those viruses, especially. You know, uh, even you know, things like the flu, the cold, those are all viruses. And, and CMV is like that on steroids, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, of course, back then, to be able to treat that is, is really was nothing. So mm-hmm. so you can keep going. I was just, just wanted to make sure the audience was, was up to speed with just how serious that was. Well, and just, just to say this out loud, Joey, they did not treat me. They honestly said he will die. They had no treatment. So it is really kind of that whole miracle that I've gotten where I am. Finally, two years, uh, two years ago, I had liver transplant go back uh, five years ago now, and uh, I was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver, uh, unknown cirrhosis of the liver. It started back in 2013. They stumbled in upon it by accident. I thought I had the flu, and the next thing you know, uh, my hemoglobin was at 3.2. They said you should be dead, and I was sitting up laughing and joking with the nurses, and that's where that whole liver transplant story began. Oh, my gosh. So I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at all the things that you have been able to accomplish, right? So yeah. sports broadcaster. So I'm thinking, oh, gosh, you had a stutter. So, you know, how how did you overcome that? Um, and then a pastor, too? Yes, yes. I've okay, been in- so walk us through, like, how, how did your life take this journey? Um, I was raised in a family belief. Um, my faith has been a huge part of defying the odds. When I, I, I tell people whether your belief is— you need something bigger than yourself to believe in. Hope is a powerful thing when you have life slam against you. Um, and I always believe because of my faith, I can get back up. It may not be the same as it was, but I can get back up. So that faith became a part of my ministry calling in life. Um, I have worked with recovering alcoholics and rehab people most of my adult life in that church ministry setting. So their whole life is about putting the pieces back together. So my defying the odds literally transplanted and became a part of the whole church ministry as well. So, of course, you know, you at some point get really ill, you know, through all these other things that you've got going on. And then you get really ill with with a liver disease. So can you take us, you know, back to that part and what got you into you know, learning about donation and the need for a transplant? Yeah, well, I was shocked. Literally, uh, I thought I had the flu. I had a friend drop me off at the ER just because and I and I never got sick back then. Uh, and I said, look, they're not going to do anything major. I'm going to be stuck in the ER forever. Next thing I know, they put me on a bed and they tried to draw blood. They couldn't draw blood. And a couple hours later, yeah, because the skin was so tight, they said it was alligator skin. Um, And three doctors literally walked in together and said, we're the admittance team. You're the most critical man in the building. Your hemoglobin is 3.2. And I'm laughing. And they're all laughing. 
And he said, no, no, this is deadly serious. You're going nowhere. You, are, you, you should be dead right now. And I walked in under my own power, fully awake. And the, and the doctors could not believe it. They, they really thought an ambulance crew had brought me in. Um, and from that minute on, I began to learn through some GI bleeds and other episodes. It took about six months from there them to finally nail it down. It was liver disease. And then they sat us down and said, your liver is 75% shot and gone, never coming back. And today, you need to radically change everything you do. Man, I, and I just saw a video um, of you uh, on YouTube talking about your two-year anniversary, and I said, oh, man, he's so well-versed in saying what we would encourage folks to do, you know, get the facts, make an educated decision, help us make life happen. Is that kind of your mantra now, what you do? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an open book. People can ask me anything about the entire process. It is a downward spiral. Uh, mine was a slow crawl. Um, the meld score didn't bounce around too much. It was stuck at 16 for a very long time. So a three-year slow decline of energy and everything that goes along with the liver failure. Um, and finally, uh, I lost my job January of 2017, and I had the transplant in March of 2017. So I was working, driving, doing everything up until the very end, which is very unusual. And so he mentioned the MELD score, and we've talked about that in, in previous episodes. And, and essentially, without getting too technical, it's the score that is attached to someone who has liver disease, and it kind of gauges just how sick your liver is. So, uh, and, and that's what we talked about it before about, you know, moving up or down the, the wait list uh, versus the others that are there. So that's how, you know, he mentioned the 16. So it was pretty, pretty bounced around and then stayed around there. So that's tough to get transplanted. It just depends on, you know, where you're located a lot of times uh, when you have a 16. Sometimes, you know, you can be a really sick 16 or sometimes you can be a 16 and, and you know, still have a, a year or two left, you know. So that's the that's some of the, the, the challenges that come with, with waiting. So how scared were you when they told you? I guess my big question is when you found out you had liver disease and you needed a transplant, that had to be, uh, through everything you've been through, that had to be one of the biggest, you know, whoa moments. Well, I was married at the time and my wife was sitting next to me and her first word was, he never gets sick. What are you talking about? And yeah, I don't get the flu. I, I really don't get anything. And so the doctor just looked at us and said, he's already dead at 75%. He's really dead. He just hasn't caught up to the fact that he's dead. So literally, uh, we went home that night, sat our three daughters down and they cleaned the covers of all the salt content that dad would normally eat. And I went to a low salt diet immediately on the spot. And that was just, Shock and awe. It, it, it literally, they said, you have no time. You, you, you need to turn everything around right now. Uh, and then I started to learn how to count boxes in supermarkets and look for low salt diets that I didn't understand a thing about it. But you quickly learn. You, you, you quickly Google and learn. And it did change my entire family. Um, yeah. So it is a uh, mental barrier, which I talk about with a lot of people. It's not just the emotional, the physical. There's a lot of mental stuff that goes into uh, going through something like this. So once you found out that you needed a, a transplant, liver transplant, did you learn more about exactly what that donation process was, was about? Yeah, actually, the doctors did a great job coaching, instructing all the way through it that eventually, uh, because you cannot do a partial transplant with 75% gone at that point. So it's got to be a full transplant 
which then it means you're going to have a, a organ donation uh, from someone that passes away. And that's something to wrap your head around. And there's something to really think that for you to live, someone has to die. Uh, we talked about that a lot as a family. We talked about that this is a blessing. This is something that's going to be an amazing gift to us. Uh, and so after the transplant, just jump ahead a little bit, I did go to a gift of life celebration in Jacksonville, and we released a dove to honor that gift of life and honor that. And probably one of the most emotional things I've ever been a part of, and I actually spoke of that, uh, spoke of that event, uh, but to, to release it and think about this whole process of life and death and people, and it really is amazing. And again, yeah, I, I, I studied, I learned, I Google, I talked to doctors a lot all the way through the process. But So by the time I got to that point, I was pretty squared away emotionally and mentally to face it. Uh, but I have heard a lot of people never get to that point. A lot of people really struggle with, that's a hard fact to get to, Joey. So Trigger, have you met your donor family? No, but I put the request in. Uh, I, I would love to. Um, interesting story. Two different people have brought up uh, facts and uh, accounts of the exact same person. Uh, I was living in Georgia at the time. And uh, the same name came up as a possible donor because of a car accident that happened on the very day I got the phone call. Uh, so we're, we're all pretty buzzed and jazzed about it, but I have not got that acknowledgement that the family wants to meet me yet. And so our, um, a lot of our families say, what do you say? Have you thought about that when you do get a chance to meet? What, what things you want to convey? Yeah, first off, it's thank you. God bless you. This is the most amazing thing because at the very end, um, the doctors never said it, but I was so close to passing. The kidney failure had not kicked in, but I knew it was getting real close to that teetering line. Uh, my brother and his girlfriend told me afterwards, uh, we checked on you every day expecting you to be dead. So my first thing is going to be thank you for the amazing gift uh, of the family member that gave it to me. And second, um, it wasn't wasted. I am giving back. I'm living this life. Um, I'm back on my feet. And I'm back on my feet far above what the doctors said I would be. Uh, they had told me about disabilities and setbacks. And I'm not hiking and camping and going through the high country. So I would love to tell them it wasn't wasted. Oh, full of energy, too. I love it. And I love in, yeah. in your story, um, just from birth, like, you won't survive. You can't do that. Um, this obstacle is in your way. And then you're like, no, it's not. Watch me. Well, <laughs> I love that. Well, like if they had me, yeah. And that's, that's just been part of my mindset my whole life. Uh, the doctors had me out of bed 24 hours after transplant. They said, get up and walk. Um, and I told my doctors, you're absolutely crazy. Five days later, I walked out hands-free without a cane out the front door of the Mayo Clinic with my mother. That is crazy. And just so just so everyone understands, you know, when he mentioned the hemoglobin of three, you know, that's the blood count that's your red blood cells and everything. Uh, technically, it, it signifies that he, he had a severe anemia. And just to put it into perspective, uh, we transfuse or you needed a blood transfusion at about uh, 10 or so. Mm. So uh, so. Wow. Three times more than what he had, you're already getting blood transfusions. Mm. So that's that's a I, I haven't seen very often in my career, my, I don't know, 20 whatever years as, as a nurse, uh, anybody walking and talking with with a three. It is remarkable. It is unbelievable. He that has you're work able to, to do. <laughs> he has <laughs> lives to true. inspire. Come on, that's Trigger. True. Here we go. 
Well, and and just kind of tack on to that, Joey, uh, the doctor said, we're going to admit you and we're going to hang four bags of blood. And I heard a nurse say it out loud. We've never hung four bags of blood on a living person. So it is. It, it is one of those mind boggling things to wrap around. Yeah. Um, Trigger, so your story really is one of resilience and perseverance and getting back up when you feel down. What would you say to people who might be listening who are feeling like they can't get back up? Yeah, no, that, that, that's great, sir, uh, because it's, it's day by day. It's hour by hour. And I, I really tell people, find the new thing you can do. It, it may not be what you once did, but you can still do great, amazing things with meaning and purpose. So when I uh, got sick and got sicker, um, I began to use my creative skills as a public speaker and broadcaster, and I started to write movie scripts. TV scripts. I found a different outlet for what I naturally do. Uh, and that's a lot of repurposing and don't lose that ability to give back, to do something. Um, because no matter where you're at, there always is that upside. Um, and also be, be, be as real as you can with your friends and your family. Uh, they will rally around you, love on you, support you. And I had great family support. Uh, even though I went through a divorce through the entire process as well, uh, my mom and dad, my brother uh, all rallied around in a way that I could never, ever give back. So, Trigger, there has to be a correlation between the people you work with who are recovering from addiction and your second chance at life through transplantation. Can you tell us how that has helped you be a support person for them? Yeah, really. That has been an amazing correlation, um, something I never expected, but I actually worked with them before my transplant and before the liver failure. So I already knew their pains, their hardships, their struggles. They have jobs and families and careers that have been blown up by the addictions and all the legal things that pop into it. And it really sets their life askew and out of control. And they don't have hope. They don't have purpose. And they're trying to put it back together. So when I went through my part of it, now I can really understand it is emotional. It is spiritual. It is mental. So my empathy has gone to a whole new level. And now when I do talk to them, I have something more to relate to them because I know what it's like to not have a job. I know what it's like to show up but not be able to fully show up and to have your family destroyed by something that's really painful. And so, yeah, it is a huge correlation. And it has been a bridge now where people can go, you know what? He's one of us. He does understand what it means to be at that lowest point and still find hope. And it's, 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 it's become a powerful tool. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I found you on YouTube, watch some of your videos. I'm like, okay, we're going to be friends. Um, but tell us what you like. Do you travel book? Like if people want to reach out to you, maybe they need some of your special skill sets. Uh, you know, tell us about you. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I, I do travel. I love to go around and speak on the whole define the odds. Uh, again, whether it's the liver transplant story, the organ donation side of it, or just uh, the public speaking, the leadership side. So I love to travel. Um, uh, you give me a microphone in any place, I'm going to have a great time with you, I promise. <laughs> I told y'all uh, he was my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, um, I'm on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube channels, and, and those YouTube channel videos are snippets of larger talks that I get. So they're all a condensed version. They give you a sample of what I might do in your arena. Uh, and that's just like free resources, uh, free resource to help people out. So we're just searching for Rich Trigger. Rich Trigger, Bond Trigger. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, if you find one, you can find all the others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a bunch popped up. I was like, he's busy. <laughs> I like um, it. Also, 
Um, also, there is richbontrager.net. That's the master website. You can find me that way as well. And we'll make sure we have all that in our show notes. So for those of you who are listening, you can find them easily. All right, Trigger, it was such an honor to get to know you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on The Gifted Life. Thanks for having me on. It's been a great time, you guys. All right. So if you have um, something that uh, maybe you can reach out to Trigger, please do that. And we hope to have you back here on The Gifted Life. Thanks, sir. Thank you very much. the Gifted Life podcast today, taking a moment for mental health with Miss Sarah. What are we talking about, I don't know. I've got a lot of anxiety (laughs) waiting for it. What do we got? What's the topic? This should be fun, not anxious. All right. Today, we're going to talk about how to battle insecurity. Ooh, Joe, that's That's why I'm anxious. (laughs) Kidding. kidding. (laughs) Well, you know, everybody has insecurities, right? And especially no. oh, so everybody, everybody has but Lori. (laughs) She's perfect. Okay. (laughs) Um, And especially, you know, and... Right now with social media, again, there's just so much connection, so much comparison that it's easy to kind of fall in that trap of over insecurity, I Mm -hmm. would say. So what can we do to change that? How do we battle it? So don't log on to social media. (laughs) I was going to say, or or log on and post a lot about how great our lives are. Don't compare yourself to others. (laughs) Yes. Uh, As a mom, that's tough because you want to do the best you can. I bet. And I'm sure there's times like when you see something on social media and you're like, well, I don't do that for my kid. They're going to grow up tough. That's what I say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one thing you can do is, again, the way you gain self-esteem is by doing esteemable acts. Mm -hmm. So turn that attention away from yourself and turn it to others who are in need. Find something. Can you tell me what that is? Esteemable acts. (laughs) What makes you what be a good human, Joe? Be a good human. Volunteering, finding your passion, working in a field, or finding your purpose for Mm -hmm. something that brings you you good. Found your purpose, Joe. Chief clinical officer, making life happen, breaking through glass ceiling. That's right. Did that make you feel good? I feel such a (laughs) solid person now. (laughs) (laughs) So that's definitely one way. Um, Another thing is just surround yourself with people who see your strengths, who see the good in you. If you're around friends and family who love you and who tell you that you're doing great. Oh, yeah. Your circle. Mm-hmm. You hear your that, Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> Is that your wife? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's time for her to tell me how great I am. <laughs> Another really good way is to challenge those negative thoughts. So that inner dialogue, when you have a negative thought about yourself, challenge it with something that you know you're good at or something that you like about yourself. Just give yourself a quick little challenge. Do that internally. My insecurities often are very specific. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have like this generalized insecurity about life. I feel very comfortable in my shoes, mm-hmm. except when I do certain things like put a microphone in my face and have to get up in public <laughs> or whatever. It's just, that's where I feel it. So so what should I do in those situations? Um, because it's hard for me to just visualize myself as great as I am at a lot of things right. uh, in that situation being great. Well, I think we all get anxious, too, to about... <laughs> oh, I was making fun. I just wasn't out loud saying it. <laughs> well, I think that's a really good point. You can really feel insecure about if you have, like, a presentation at work that you're very anxious about. Challenge yourself with, I'm good at this, and I know what I'm doing, and there's a reason I'm up here speaking. So give that negative internal dialogue a challenge with something positive and something that's true. 
You yep. guys, I just went into the mechanic and I said, when you turn left, it goes, ur, ur. and they're like, what's that sound? Like, what do you think it is? I had like, I don't, it just squeaks. I, and is it a squeak or I don't out. know? Like, oh man, I had hives. I didn't yeah. know. Probably felt insecure about what you don't know when the truth is, is why would you need to know right. that? That's why you're bringing them to a mechanic. An expert. Right. So then I laid it on thick, like, because y'all are awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we still don't have it fixed, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but it probably made yourself like feel a little better once you realize there's a reason I'm not an expert in this and there are Well, experts. when they couldn't find anything else out, I thought, I'm good. <laughs> they didn't know either. <laughs> and another just really quick way that you can kind of battle insecurity is when you're talking to yourself, instead of saying, I use your name. So speak about yourself in the third person. So Sarah, it just brings your humanity back into the conversation. You're not an I who you can just beat up. It's you're bringing yourself back into it. Joy speaks in third person all the time. <laughs> we Joy, this on how the did podcast. you hit that bad shot when I'm playing golf? <laughs> we learned this on a podcast episode. People like to hear their first names. And if I you're say saying it, that's even better. Right. Lori. Yeah. Way to go. Time to wrap it up. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> All right, guys. Good talk. Maybe you have something you want Sarah to cover. You can send us an email at info at thegiftedlife.org. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today, we honor Jeremy Paul Lee Shiro. Jerry was what we called him. Jerry was 13 years old when he died. He was riding on his bike and was struck by a car in Chalmette, Louisiana. His cousin Stephanie was born a few months later. She never met him, but she talks like she knew him. She feels that Jeremy is her guardian angel. Jerry's other cousin, Christian, became an organ donor later. These boys will live on through other people. They will always be missed and loved. And now we pause and say thank you to Jeremy and Christian for the gifts of life. question and answer segment today. Can a recovering addict obtain a transplant? The short answer, Lori, is yes. That is to say, though, with a caveat. Uh, during the workup process for obtaining a transplant, if you need a transplant, the transplant center does medical workup, uh, mm -hmm. social workup, and a psychological workup. And part of that is to uh, try to ensure if you have been using, whether it's drugs or alcohol, that, that you won't then go ahead and, and do the same damage to the gift that you've been given. Mm -hmm. So they have to see that you're actively participating in recovery and, mm -hmm. you know, trying to be, you know, being a recovering uh, addict as, a, as opposed to still, mm -hmm. you know, being addicted and still going through those initial uh, phases of, of trying to recover. And guys, we want to hear from you. So please email us your questions at info at thegiftedlife.org or give us a call at 504-648-3477. Episode 122 of The Gifted Life in the books. Yeah. Special thanks to Rich Trigger, Bon Trigger. I love to say his name. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Trigger. Trigger, good job. How much resiliency. Wow. The many, mm -hmm. many times he bounced back. And, of course, paying his gift forward by telling his story. 
defying the odds. I loved it. I enjoyed that visit, guys. Um, listen, maybe we inspired you to become an organ, eye, and tissue donor. You can do that anytime. Registerme.org. And remember, the best place to find us is on our website, thegiftedlife.org. And wherever you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, make sure you leave us a five-star rating so we can find more people. Yes, and you can find us also on social media, Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast, Twitter and Instagram, at Gifted Life Pod. We hope to inspire you. We hope to spur those healthy conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. We're a team, guys, so we hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. It's that easy. We'll talk to you soon. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>